strong. We like strong. We like our coffee strong, our salsa hot, and our military firepower overwhelming. Weak. We don't like weak. We don't like weak skinny guys at the beach who get sand kicked in their eyes. We don't like weak fishy handshakes. We don't like losing seasons. We don't like weak links in the chain. You know, given a preference, we will always choose strong. One of the most dreaded questions in any job interview is, what is your greatest weakness? Monster.com, the largest job website in the world, says, if you answer that question truthfully, you ain't going to get the job. You don't say, well, let's see. I'm constantly late. You don't say, I'm so scatterbrained, I'm unpredictable. You don't say, I, I just can't stand most of my coworkers. No, if you own up to those truths about you, you won't be back for the follow-up interview. Employment agencies advise that you come, you come up with a way to make your weakness sound like a strength. Instead of, I'm constantly late, say, I tend to be so focused on my current project that I forget the time. Instead of, I'm scatterbrained, say, I'm such a multitasker that sometimes I take on too much. Or just answer the question by stating a weakness that has nothing to do with the job. Let's say you're applying to be a cashier or an accountant and you know that you sync with numbers. Say something like, I tend to be injury prone when I play basketball. <laughs> but don't admit your weaknesses. We don't like weaknesses. In fact, we almost make it a moral issue. Strong is right, weak is wrong. Strong is good, weak is bad. We make it a criteria for value judgments. Strength makes us superior. Weakness means we are inferior. We don't like weak. We prefer strong. But the reality is, no one is strong in every possible arena. Hey, this is what we wish we were. But unfortunately, sometimes this is what we really are. <laughs> For example, some of us are good with words. Others, words, good not. Some of us are so personable to be around that when we walk into the room, the room lights up. There are others who... The room lights up when they walk out. Some of us can sing. Some of us can't. Some of us, some of us who think we can sing can't. See, everybody has weaknesses. In His wisdom, God did not create a set of clones. But He chose a world of great diversity. In order to have diversity, you have to have strengths and weaknesses. 
Now, we're in a sermon series about following Jesus. We're afraid that some people who think they are Jesus' followers are really merely Jesus' admirers. And one of the ways that we can assess whether we're a follower or an admirer is to handle how we look at weaknesses. Jesus' admirers pretty well take the way of our society and they cover up their weaknesses. They deny them. Or maybe in a worse case, they actually use them as excuses for not following in the Lord's footsteps. I mean, an admirer can just say, I'm not good with people. And that frees him from serving God anywhere, anytime that it requires interaction with people. Another way I've seen this work is somebody's mean and cantankerous when they became a Christian 20 years ago. They're still mean and cantankerous today. That's not a follower. But they'll justify it by saying, I'm steady as a rock. It's a great dodge around God's call to repentance. (laughs) We might even turn that one into a positive. Say, I'm an open book. What you see is what you get. Hey, even books go through series of editings before they're released on the public. Some of us need our weaknesses edited. Admirers of Jesus hide their weaknesses. Why? We don't like weakness. It makes us look bad. Now, Jesus' followers take a different view. They realize that our great God can use even our weaknesses to accomplish His work. And they realize that His power is evident when He works through them, despite their weaknesses, or even through their weaknesses. When God uses our weaknesses to accomplish His will, we can't brag about it. I mean, everybody who knows us knows God must have been behind whatever good came out of that. Paul's talking about this in that passage that we heard earlier. I want you to try to put yourself in his shoes for a minute and think of the temptations that went with being Paul. You're an apostle. There's not very many of those. A great church chose you to go on repeated missionary journeys to preach Christ where no one had ever preached Him before. They had that much confidence in you. You had a conversion experience far more dramatic than most people. I mean, not many of us here can say God struck us down with a light brighter than the sun and spoke to us in a voice that others could hear but only we could understand and made us blind for three days and then healed us and then gave us a specific mission. I mean, has that happened to many of you? God even took Paul to heaven once. And he told him things Paul was not allowed to tell us. So Paul could conceivably think of himself as a super-Christian compared to us. 
And in the Corinthian church, there were some people who were jealous of Saul or Paul. And, and they tried to slander him in the congregation. And the Bible reading that we had earlier came from his defense against those allegations. As I read a little bit longer section, the language is going to sound kind of weird. But it's because he's caught between a rock and a hard place. He doesn't want to brag about his experiences. But he's being forced to prove his apostleship to that church. You'll you'll see what I mean as we read. Let's start with 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. He's just given them his pedigree. And now he's going to tell about visions and revelations he's had. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. Now, I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of the surpassingly great revelations. You see, he's talking about himself, but he's trying to do it in like the third person in order, well, he just doesn't want to sound like he thinks he's superior, but he has to defend himself against those who think he's a false apostle. And then we get to our text. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. We like strength. We don't like weakness. But here's Paul saying, I delight in weaknesses. I'll boast about my weaknesses. God's power is made perfect in my weaknesses. It's when I'm weak that I'm strong. Now, to be fair to the text, we have to take a moment and think about what Paul means by weaknesses. And I think the safest way to define the term weakness here is to consider the four words that follow it. Uh, The verse fills out what he had in mind. He summarizes weaknesses by spelling it out in four other words. The first one is insult. To Paul, insults 
probed one of his weaknesses. I suppose he didn't like to be insulted. Insults, that's when people think of clever or even rude ways of making our Christian faith or our lifestyle or our choices look stupid or weird or inconsistent. Now, if we're strong on those occasions, at least as our society defends strong, if we're strong, while we would return the insult with such an effective put-down that the other person would wither and everybody around would admire our wit and cleverness. But most of us are weak. Yeah, we think of a good comeback later when it's too late to use it. And we don't like weakness. Paul says hardships are weaknesses. Circumstances first forced upon us against our will. We didn't plan it. We didn't think we would ever be in this spot. But here we are and it's hard. And if we're strong during hardships, well, we'll find a way to take charge of our own future and to change our circumstances so that things go the way we want them to. Weak people, though, either can't or won't find that way. Persecutions. It's one of his weaknesses. Wounds or abuses or, abuses or acts of exploitation that we suffer because of our Christian faith or our Christian moral commitments. It's when we're not treated fairly. When we get a raw deal. But you see, if we're strong in those circumstances, we, we might turn back on that persecutor so quickly and so decisively that nobody ever messes with us again. And then he says difficulties. Some of your versions may have calamities or distresses or troubles. The idea is one of pressure, of crushing, of being weighed down. Circumstances that overcome us with stress and tension. And in those cases, the strong might use their resources to get out of the calamity of distress as fast as possible and take charge of the situation and minimize the pressure. And, and I'm not saying those kinds of strengths are wrong or bad or immoral. I'm saying that many times we don't have that strength. We're weak. We're not strong. Now, I made you sit through all of that in order to say this. When he talks about weaknesses, Paul does not have sin in mind here. He's not talking about he's got a lust weakness kind of a thing, or she has a weakness for greed, or they have a weakness for gossip, or for lying or for hate. He's not talking about bad choices we make. He's not saying the power of Christ is perfected in my sinful behavior. And I will all the more gladly boast about my sinful behavior, my wicked ways. Now, wickedness here, it's not evil action. It's circumstances and situations and experiences and wounds that make us look weak. Things we would get rid of if we had the human strength, but we don't. It's beyond our control. 
You know, we can dig a hole so deep that we can't get out of it by ourselves. Please don't interpret Paul to be saying, go dig those holes and watch God's power pull you out. And the more holes you dig, the better God looks every time He saves you from another mess you've made. Frequently, God does save us from our messes. But that's not what Paul's saying to do. No. Here's the real challenge in the verse. God did not take away Paul's thorn. If anybody was a follower, Paul was. And you kind of think, well, followers, they should be the most blessed people in the world. Not in Paul's case. He had to live with it. Following Jesus doesn't offer deliverance from every insult, hardship, persecution, or difficulty we face. What God does give us is the power to endure. God's answer to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. When we pray a prayer like that, what we want, what what we see as success is to escape from the weakness rather than power to endure it. And the problem there is that expectation sets us up for failure. Even disappointment with God. Disillusionment with God. It, It can happen when the addiction we pray to be released from still controls us after all these years. Or the sick friend we ask God to heal dies. Or or the mess we've made of our life isn't turned around as fast as we want it to because we ask Jesus to help us. No, verse 9 does not sell in today's marketplace. God says no to Paul. But he promises to sustain him. Now, all of you have seen this happen. A young couple loses a baby. They think they... They, they can't go on living. But somehow they do. By the grace of God, they do. And at some point in time, life seems normal again. They get through it. The person who hears the diagnosis, cancer. Well, they immediately ask their church and all their Facebook friends and all the friends of their Facebook friends to pray that God will heal them. But God doesn't heal. What He does do is give them the power, the peace, the certainty of salvation so that through it all they are never left hopeless. Or a man loses his job in this market if he finds another job. It's at half the salary he used to make. Where's the blessing of God in that? Well, the man and his family managed to survive. And maybe they even discovered that all those things they thought were necessary to their happiness really are not. And they come to know a solid source of happiness that far out exceeds temporary things like possessions or savings accounts or community status. 
If you want to be a follower, you need to know this. Verse 9 does not sell in today's marketplace. God says no to Paul. But he promises grace to sustain him. Now that made me wonder why. Why doesn't God make us strong where we're weak? Especially when we beg him to. And the passage gives us three insights. First of all, our battle reminds us that we are in a war. Did you notice that the thorn in his flesh was a messenger of Satan? Now, I'm not sure what that messenger was, but I think I know what his message was. He was whispering, come over to our side, Paul. We'll show you what life really lived to the fullest is like. Well, most of us wouldn't fall for such a direct approach from the devil. The way he gets to us is to make us comfortable. Comfortable with life. So that we're likely to forget we're soldiers in the Lord's army with a mission to accomplish. But our weaknesses, those things we can't control, remind us there's a war going on. And we have a part to play in it. Paul also says his weaknesses taught him humility. Did you notice verse 7? In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. You see, like any responsible parent or caregiver, God is much more interested in our spiritual development than He is in our comfort. And the root attitude behind most sins is pride. I mean, even the Apostle Paul had to have help with that one. So God allowed weaknesses to humble them. And a third goal God has for weaknesses is to show His power. To demonstrate that despite our weaknesses, His purpose for us will not be thwarted. We don't have to always be strong to be a follower. He can take our very weaknesses and show His power through it. Now, how does He do that? How does He make His power perfect in our weaknesses? Well, one, for one thing, our weaknesses do make us extra sensitive to others facing similar battles. Because we've been there. Or maybe we're still there. And we have found that despite the battle, His grace keeps on sustaining us. For instance, once you have laid on that cold operating room table to undergo the knife, once you've been there, you're much more likely to pray for people who are facing surgery. Once you've made it through the agony of a family suicide, you're the perfect shoulder to cry on for people who are caught up in that terrible family trauma. Or... Our experiences with insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties prepare us to minister to the very area where we feel weakest. And God even uses our mess-ups as conduits for His healing power. 
In my experience, divorced people understand better than anyone that nobody comes out of divorce unscarred. And they're equipped to help those who are considering divorce or who are going through one. Addicts understand that the answer is not at the bottom of a bottle of pills or alcohol. And so when they see other people fighting those battles, they can help them with empathy and sensitivity that most folks simply do not understand. And once you have learned to control your tongue and not go tit for tat with insulters and abusers, you can guide people who are under attack by those kinds of folks to a different way to handle those trials. You see, they're aching for revenge and they're miserable because they can't get it. And you, because it was once your weakness, can show them a different solution. Personal failure can be the staging grounds for great ministry to others. That's how God makes His power perfect in our weaknesses. In the war between the states, a Union soldier was wounded. So his commanding officer said, Give me your rifle and go to the rear. You're no good on the front lines now. Go get some help. So the soldier gave his rifle and he beat a northern path toward the rear of the battle lines. But on the way he ran into another unit of the enemy. So he turned west to find a path to the rear. But along that way he ran into another unit of the enemy. So he turned east, still trying to find his way back to the rear. But he ran into the enemy, blocking his way to safety there. So he went back north or south to the front lines and told his commander, give me my rifle back. This battle ain't got no rear. In our battle against misfortune, insults, distress, persecutions, there ain't no rear where it's all safe. Not in this life. Not for anybody. And especially not for followers. God doesn't promise we will never suffer. Look at His Son. Look at what the Apostle Paul went through. Our Father does promise grace sufficient to sustain us. And that grace keeps us aware of the battle for our souls and rids us of pride and demonstrates His power to succeed in His purposes despite our weaknesses. It's inevitable you and I will face insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties we cannot defeat on our own. And sometimes God gives us the victory over them. And sometimes He gives us the grace to sustain us through them. The risen Lord can use them for His own purpose and He can infuse them with His presence and His power so that they become His strength shining through us. And as Jimmy likes to say, if you'd like to get in on some of that, come while we stand and sing together.